nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the Pickup app today. That's PKUP and wake up worry free. Hi, I'm Macaulay Jones. Dick Johnson from DJ Art, and you're on Inside Supercar. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Lavelle, and we're joined by a man who no longer walks pit lane. He's got a new domain in the sport, and that being in the AFL. A man who uh, I've known for, and Craig would have known for the best part of 15 or more years. Nick Ryan, welcome to Inside Supercars in your new role as the Chief Commercial Officer for the Essendon Football Club. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Craig. It's good to join you. It's wonderful to have you, and... What we're going to talk about now is, first of all, go through your background, how you got to where you did when you left uh, Kelly some 18 months or 20 months ago, how that transitioned in the various guises you were, and then through into the differences between motorsport, supercars, and the AFL. So we'll get around to that. But let's start off with where you came into this business or where you came into the business world. Yeah, no problem. And and thanks for the opportunity to chat. I think. Um, it was an interesting journey for me because when I grew up, I was never a, a big motorsport fan. I mean, I enjoyed it as, as many people did, but it was um, at that point in time, you know, my family didn't avidly follow supercars or, or anything to that nature. And, you know, I, di- I didn't set out to um, be, be necessarily working in the sport, uh, even though for me, sport was always a focus for, you know, when I was undertaking study, uh, I really wanted to end up in the, in the sporting realm. And I had an opportunity to join uh, James Henderson at DSEG, which is Dynamic Sports and Entertainment Group, a boutique sports marketing agency that was involved in a, a host of different sports um, from National Rugby League, uh, did bits in, in cricket and horse racing, and just so happened that James had a shareholding in Tasman Motorsport. And at the time, it was it was the early doors. I was I came into and had exposure to that business from the, from the early days. My first round that I went to was 2004 Oran Park, which was the final round of the supercar season. And I had had no insight. I had once, many, many moons ago with a, a, a friend from school, his, his dad was the head of Ford or one of the head guys for Ford in Australia, and, and we'd zipped out to Sandown and very quickly uh, headed in and, and saw Glenn Seaton in their Ford credit days um, and, and had the opportunity to meet him. But that was about two hours of exposure that I'd had in my entire life. And then suddenly I'm thrust into walking up the hill at Oran Park and thinking, where on earth have, uh, have I ended up? And uh, really from that moment, um, that was, I think that was a, that was a one, one car operation at, uh, at Tasman Motorsport in its year with, uh, Jason Richards was the sole driver there. And then I really came to it as we, we went into that off-season and, and initiated this two-car program uh, with with Jason Richards, Jamie Winkup, and I was hook, line and sinker really from that point onwards. And I spent the next part of, I think, four years um, uh, with that team. And, you know, we had 
some some really interesting periods. My role within that team was around all the commercial aspects, setting up what is all the sponsorship programs and fan engagements and and the like with with that operation, and uh, had a really great time. And I um, I got to after about that four year period where I started merging away from supercars just with opportunities within the DSEG business and started looking after some of their NRL programs, um, state of origin and, and just commercial partnerships around the whole of the NRL. And I'd probably thought by that time, whilst I'd absolutely love supercars, I, I, I wasn't, um, you know, I was open to, to exploring other sports or, or what might have been. And I thought I'm only probably going to get back into this sport if something, you know, an awesome opportunity presented itself because I'd, I'd sort of possibly ticked that box. And it just so happened a mutual acquaintance of ours uh, was doing some work with the Kellys at that point in time. And this is when uh, in the, in the 2000 and this would have been 2008 season. So Todd was driving at Larry Perkins team for, for Jack Daniels. Rick was at HSV Diller team and uh, this guy suggested to me at the time, he said, would you be interested to have a chat? And it was interesting because I knew just because you do when you're working in the industry over a period of, of time and years, you get to know a lot of people, you get to know the drivers, you're not not necessarily well, but at the same time, you, you seem to know a lot of the characters. I'd never met Rick or Todd Kelly. Um, and that's, you know, the, the guys could be um, quite reserved at, at times. And, and that wasn't uh, anything negative. It's just... Uh, whilst you know some of the other drivers have got these really big personalities and and other areas that you you just naturally get to meet and do things over time so i ended up uh, going to meet these guys at a uh, a pub restaurant or whatever it was in Mordialic one day and and i thought i'd just be catching up with them to have a, a conversation about uh, there was a lot of industry talk at that time that rick and todd were looking to set up their own team and of course, the thought of that was highly compelling. You know, you got two highly successful drivers for Todd's career at certainly at um, Holden Racing Team, Rick at you know f- from Kmart right through to what he achieved at Toll and championships. That was really interesting to me. So I ended up going to meet with these guys. I remember telling where I was at work that I was popping out for lunch, and I ended up meeting with the guys for five hours talking through every way of the world, what they were talking about with their plans. I met with uh, uh, Rick and Todd, their, their dad, John, and, and the intermediary at this point was a guy called Patrick Ritchie who ended up helping in, in the early days of the Kelly business. So after that five-hour meeting, I drove back to the office and handed in my resignation that day. And then it was the uh, the next step in going to work with uh, with the Kellys. And uh, for, the, for the first days of, of going to the Kellys, I um, we were based at their personal facility, which was in uh, in Brayside, uh, sort of at the Brayside area, similar to where we were based or established for for all the years. And it was their personal factory. I think there was no real desk or anything for me, so I was sitting behind a, redep- a reception desk for the uh, the short term. This would have been about September first, two thousand and eight, uh, and we were sitting there facing the establishment of a, a two car team from scratch. And we know how quickly the supercar season turns around. I think we were meant to be on the grid in Adelaide by probably the 20th or something of uh, February the following year. And we had no sponsors, no staff, no infrastructure, absolutely nothing. And we had a very limited amount of time to actually get that up and running. And then um, after no, not much time at all, it was probably a month or, or two into that process, we, we would have been hitting um, you know, October 
Um, Larry Perkins, because Todd had obviously advised that he was moving on and we were establishing this team. Larry had, had said to Todd, well, maybe it's timing, maybe it's appropriate. Would you be looking to to establish a uh, – or take on my licences at the same time under a lease arrangement and establish a four-car team, which to say was ambitious is an understatement because it was right in the thick of the GFC. And not only did we have a lack of infrastructure, resource, uh, funding, everything around two cars, we certainly had a lack of resource, funding and everything else around four cars. And that was a um, that was a really interesting period. I, I think if if you talk about looking back at times in your career where you've given total commitment and worked your absolute backside off, uh, that would be one of those. And I would say exactly the same about Rick and Todd. You've, you've never seen – and that, that was – resounding for those guys through the entire period that I worked with them and, and you know, I ended up being in the business with those guys for you know, the better part of 12 years. But, you know, we um, we we quickly then found a, a base around the corner in Brayside, a, a facility that we thought we'd never, ever fill, um, but we ended up expanding over a period of time to double the size with all the infrastructure and um, development that we bought over from Larry's team when, when Todd and Rick bought them out and, um yeah, it was. Uh, I, I could probably talk talk for a lot longer, and I'm sure I will on things, but I might pause there. And uh, yeah, it was a um, was an incredible journey to that point. In fact, yes, you remind me well of that saying, and I'm sure you would have heard it in your time in motorsport. That Brock said, like, just take a big bite and chew like hell, because it seems to me setting up a four car factory team for Nissan is got to be one of the most humongous things to have got involved in, including turning a four-wheel drive V8 into a supercar V8. I think I think that was our mantra through the whole thing. It was just it, it was it was almost the just just do it and we'll figure out how to get there. And you know, we didn't have the budget of some of these bigger teams when you look at Rollins, when you look at Penske when he came in, um, even over obviously a period of time with um, with Walkinshaws and the like and we just had to find a way. How did we find a way to compete? And it, it's you know it's a tough game when you don't have the the big budgets because the big budgets if you if you can if you got the money and you can certainly spend it in the right areas where someone like Roland has for such an extended period of time, it is incredibly hard to compete against them. And you know we we always aspired to a greater levels of success on the racetrack, but. You know, I, I think um, success over the period of the Kellys can be measured in, in many ways. Uh, you know, we were the first to bring that new manufacturer into supercars with, with Nissan. And, you know, what, what Todd primarily in terms of establishing that development program, in terms of building that engine program, I mean, we had people globally look at that engine program, uh, even through the Nismo business, telling us that, that that would take us the better part of 18 months to two years to get fully established. And that's with a extensive number of engineers focusing on the program. And, um, you know, for sure it took us extended time in, in development, but for what the, the small team of people that we had uh, were able to achieve repeatedly uh, with all the challenges that are thrown up in the business of supercars, is incredible, and you know we had a lot of people that were at the um, at the team for you know the journey, so to speak, uh, that, that certainly rode that wave. And you know we 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 bit off at every step where you think you could take a deep breath and and the, the foot might come off the pedal. You know suddenly did we turn that around again? And you know we we'd bite off and do more. We'd build more cars. We would we would do um, you know some, something else that that really questioned. <laughs> 
are we are we doing too much? You have been quite diplomatic there. You haven't talked about the fact that you announced almost 12 months before you put the Nissan on the racetrack that you were coming, and that gave everyone 12 months to nobble you. Yeah, and it was it was bloody tough. I mean, we were campaigning hard. There was, um, look, if, if we look back at that period of time, there was, and you know, a lot of your listeners and, and everyone would know well that the rules evolved and the rules assisted uh, further incumbents such as when, Erebus was able to enter with the Mercedes, um, with Gary, was able to enter with the Volvo. And a lot of that stemmed from the profound challenges that we encountered uh, through that entire program. And, you know, we were, we were running into that Nissan program with one hand tied behind our back. We, we just said every step we were getting knocks and it was costing us a significant amount of money. And by the time some of the rules were adapted to assist some of these other players in the game, it was too late for us. We'd gone and spent so much money and gone down a particular direction that it's not just as simple for to you know to change to change what you've done and change what you've established over that period of time. So it was it was I think that's one of our you know things where the Nissan piece would be probably our close to one of our proudest moments for for what we were able to achieve. But it's also one of our most frustrating and at times disappointing moments because um, we were significantly hampered in that program. Um, and it was simply unfair. And, you know, we, we had phenomenal opportunities with that program to, you know, to one, we brought Nissan back to the sport, and ultimately that was also the cause of its decline because we weren't able to, and, you know, other people have, have, were happy to kick us on the sidelines and say if someone else is doing the program and all these things would, would be able to achieve success, well, um, I can tell you from, from where we went with the base and the challenges that we had, it doesn't matter how much money in the world you would have had. You, you, you were simply hampered to, to being uh, highly competitive. Mm. And that went right back to the very base parts of it where you put your first engine up and they turned around and said, no, it's got to be a pushrod. Yeah. Well, there you go, and that's that's the um, that that's the frustration. You know, it was it was a very difficult period, and you know, I I take my um, my hat off to the guys, and you know, this is a real testament to the character of Rick and Todd, um, and you know, Todd who took a lot of this on his shoulders. You know, he was the guy who spearheaded all the developments, and the just the the ability to keep going. And keep fighting, you know. Todd put himself or got himself onto the commission um, to to try and find some balance and to try and uh, improve things. But you know, Todd is such a quality person in that respect. He he never did it with a, a, a focus or lens just on us. He was always doing it to the betterment of the support. Always act impartial, sometimes to our detriment, but. Uh, a lot of times he was just fighting, and you know, it was a constant battle, a constant struggle, and extremely tiring. Um, but you know, he was he was always driving from the front, and you know, any any day that you open the door or you left, either Rick or and Todd would would both still be there. So, you know, in in a true version of a leader, those those guys are it. And you know, it's um, as I said, it's it's something that was a really tough period, um, but also incredibly rewarding. And you know, we worked with some fantastic people in that Nissan business uh, throughout Australia and, and also globally. And, you know, it was, was something that I, I look back with as, as a very fond time, regardless of the, the lack of result that we're able to achieve. Were you surprised, well, first of all, Rick uh, retired and the demise of, uh, Kelly racing to become Kelly Grove racing. And then 
just drove racing. Has this involvement been a, a real surprise to you? Oh, look, I think if you if if you look at it, that the guys, you know, first Todd retired, and Todd had had a significant career in the sport, achieved phenomenal success over his career. Um, would no doubt go down as one of the most heralded drivers um, for uh, all his time in supercars through through his achievements, not far from just at the Kellys, but what he did with the Holden Racing Team. You know, first win that he was able to achieve for Lowry's in, in a long period of time, um, I think down in Tasmania in 08, if I remember. And, um, you know, he he had he'd basically left to, to focus on the development side of the business. And then Rick obviously continued for uh, a number of years Beyond that, um, you know, Todd going into the business allowed Rick to, to focus wholly and solely on his uh, driving. You know, he, he removed himself from the day-to-day aspects to get a focus on it. But I think, you know, like anything, um, you need to know when it's the right time. And uh, Rick had felt that, you know, was in, in my opinion, he'd felt it was probably the right time for, for someone else to jump into the car. You know, he, he had... Um, he has obviously been in his, his career must have been, I don't know, I'm going to guess 18 years or something like that, which is a phenomenal career and period of time to be driving. So, you know, he made the decision what was right for him. Um, he obviously didn't want to get it to a time where, you know, he was he was pushed out of the sports and, and he probably felt like it was time to do something different as well when you consider that period of time, um, much like anyone in any career. It's, you, you've been doing something for so long that you, you might want to evaluate change. And, you know, there, there's probably a sign that, that Rick was ready for that as well because you haven't seen him step back in a supercar or intended to step back in a supercar in the, in the short term or other vehicles of car um, for, for a period of time. You know, hopefully he might decide to, to do it in, in some form, in some category, in some way in the future. But he, he'd probably... Um, you know, he, he's achieved so much, he'd earned his time on the sideline. Before you left, you were part of another major change at Kelly Racing, and that was working with Ford to get Kelly's into what most people would have thought was the last brand they'd choose. <laughs> I remember the discussions. This was the morning that we uh, that we were announced. Oh, sorry, we did the photo shoots. We went out to, to Broadmeadows and... Uh, we did the photo shoots with uh, key representatives from Ford, um, with Rick and Todd, and we were standing there outside the large Ford logo, um, and and Todd said something to the effect, "Can you believe? Can you believe this is us? Uh, when you know they've had such significant holding connections for so many years. Then obviously over to Nissan, and to to even go back, we were we were fearful when we moved to Nissan. We thought that the response of the public would be, uh, you know contentious um, around our move to to that when the boys had been so strongly linked to Holden for a period of time. Well, that wasn't the case. Um, and, you know, the fan base was incredibly supportive and and that probably reigned true for, for the shift to Ford. You know, the, the Ford business was, for one, fully embracing and were absolutely brilliant from, you know, the, the initial phases and, and when we explored the opportunity to, to move over to the Mustang. Um, and, uh, you know, they were, they were a, a great business to work with. And, and even so, the fan base was was really supportive of that move because, you know, they could see the challenges that we were enduring um, and the opportunity to uh, change direction for the the um, 
for the team was a necessity, one, because of Nissan's exit, but also the right decision to, to go and, and, you know, as I said, fall were wonderful in that support. You then wound up your time in supercars. How do you, I guess you never say never, but how do you look at that? Is that all packaged up now and uh, you've done what you needed to do? Oh, look, I, I don't think you'd ever never say never. I, you know, if I reflect back to my earlier comments where I said um, that, you know, I'm growing up supercars wasn't a, a passion for me, well, it, it certainly is now. And I spent the better part of 15-odd years in supercar racing, uh, and I absolutely love the sport. I love everything about it. I love the competitiveness. I love the business side of the sport. Um you know, it's sport is a uh, a very competitive product in this country. For for twenty five million people or whatever we have here, the the sheer volume of um, sporting teams and organisations we're competing is, is absolutely ridiculous. And we're all vying for a um, smaller purse of commercial funding to to make everything viable. But you know, it, it's tough. But supercars is is a real point of difference. I think the the unique benefits that the sport offers. Um, the, the true engagement and passion of the fan base is like nothing you'll ever see. And, and yeah, I, I, I absolutely adored my time in supercars. It's, it's, a, it's a big sport with a big commitment that, that requires, you know, total focus and energy into that. And, and that required, um, you know, travelling for the better part of 80 to 100 days or whatever it might be a year, um, which, is, which is extensive. And I've got a young family and it was probably the right time when the family's young to, um, to, to consider alternative things. Otherwise, you, uh, you don't really get to know your family. But, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was something that you know, I, I do certainly look back on and, and love and I still keep very close connections to the sport. I still speak to a lot of people in the sport um, just purely out of interest because um, you know, I had a great career and, and I look back on it fondly. Now we get to a time where you made the transition from four wheels to pieces of leather uh, at the very time when Australia was going through the enormous transition, March 2020, the world exploded and the pandemic arrived and you had to get your feet up and running uh, very quickly in a new sport, but obviously one that coped far better because of the circumstances of wage played, coped far better with this pandemic than motorsport has. Um, the AFL and the clubs have done an amazing job in completing, nearly completing two seasons. You'd have to be encouraged by what you've walked into there. It's one of those things that if I look back to launching a four-car supercar team with, uh, it was Rick Todd and I in, in 2008 to um, joining a football club two and a half weeks before the world turned upside down, I think I was somewhat well prepared in terms of experience there. But, you know, like anything with, with supercars, you know, we, we experienced similar challenges. You know, every, everything sort of collapsed around us. Um, the, we had in our first year a reduction in games. We had, um, for a period of time, you know, no fans at games. Then everything was moved to Queensland. Uh, a significant amount of challenges that, that occurred there. I mean, um, where, where we were lucky in a sense is, as different to, um, to supercars is, you know, we're, we're just playing on a, you know, not, not to talk it down in any comparison, but we're, we just need an oval 
and we need an oval that we can play on, obviously with the right facilities, that allow us to get our games away. Whereas for supercars, it's not that simple. The, the, the sheer movement of infrastructure and teams and, um, you know, the, the, the nature of racetracks and whether they're street circuits or whatever that may be is is compounding. And that's a that was a, a, a very challenging period. And I think, you know, the AFL did an absolutely exceptional job of, of getting what was last season away and certainly this season where we've been able to get a 22-round season away um, slightly uh, limited and, and restricted in various capacities, but more or less we got the games away. Now, to, to relate that to supercars, I think their their job of being able to get the season away in whatever form it is, you know, it's it's really um, – they've, they've got a lot of things to protect. They've got a lot of uh, TV broadcast assets they need to protect, a lot of commercial partnerships, the, the and, and which all relates to the viability of, of running teams – um, but also, most importantly, for the fans. You know, you, you think um, when when people see the, the, the breadth of announcement that take place from uh, supercars periodically around movement of, of events and everything that's happening, it is all about also getting the show and continuing the show. It's very easy just to, to pack up your bat and ball and, and rest on the sidelines for a period of time, but, you know, it's not all about... Um, just contractual agreements and things, it's about the show for the fans. And I think they've done a super job of being able to deliver the show in some form um, regularly over this, what is two years. And and I know, you know, there's a modified into the season, but you even look at what they've been able to develop around Bathurst this year and there were a six-day carnival. What what a coup for, for the fans. What an amazing TV product it would be. Um, and, you know, as a fan and, and spectator on the sidelines, you know, I'm genuinely excited by it and, and, you know, real credit to them for what they've been able to do. So I think, um, you know, we've both had enormous challenge over this two-year period, but um, extensively, you know, supercars have, have, have really struggled in, in some of those areas and, and had the challenges up against them, but they've done a pretty good job. Let's deal now with maybe the differences between the two organisations. So you've gone one where there's lots of bits of metal involved and trucks and all sorts of things, the one where there's lots of people. Essendon Football Club would have a larger turnover than um, Kelly Racing um, and involve a, a, a lot more people because you've got, you know, 50-odd players. Um, talk us about the difference between you and a commercial aspect running your department in those two different mm. organisations, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, when you look when you look at the the basis of a club, um, you know, the turnover as it relates to a, a supercar team is to the tune of probably a multiple of five times. So, um, significantly more revenue that goes through the clubs. You're talking big membership bases, Essendon, where I am now, um, which I, I also across all the membership side of our business. Um, you know, we've got 81,000 members, which, you know, is a very different model for, for supercars. Um, you know, the membership really for, for AFL-based fans is access to games and finals, which is really difficult for, for supercars. And, and that's a that's a massive part of it. And um, commercially, yeah, it's we've, we've got a significant more number of people across the administration and football side for that matter, but certainly the administration in, in many respects. But the parallels of business and everything that we do in terms of our commercial aspects from partnerships 
Um, and even when I mentioned that membership model, whilst it is significantly bigger, the principles and all those remain the same. So, you know, I had a, a really good education piece in my time working in supercars that set me up really well. You know, I've, I've come into the club and take the, the top commercial uh, role in the club, looking after all the, the revenue from all our membership, all our um, sponsorship, commercial, coteries, fundraising, um, different areas that's, you know, the, the skills that I gained inside uh, at Supercars set me up really well for, for stepping into this role and, um, you know, for where we sit now with the Bombers. Nick, every club, yours is Kia, but every club, Carlton, Hyundai, has a car sponsor. Supercars struggle to keep one or two. What is it that Essendon offers a car supplier, I guess we can't call them a manufacturer, but car supplier in Australia that supercar teams can't or don't? <laughs> so just firstly on that point, we, we, we used to be Kia. We were Kia until 2017. Now we aren't. We're actually one of the few clubs without a, uh automotive sponsor. There's probably to the tune of, I don't know, 10, 10 automotive brands that sit within um, a uh, an AFL club. I think the to, to put some science around why they are is – with our huge membership and supporter base per club uh, drives significant sales opportunities for these automotive brands. That's the way that these brands work. It's not just about, sure, it is to some degree about the exposure and visibility that you get through an association with one of the clubs. And you know, you'll see a number of clubs that have automotive brands on their playing kit, but it, it really does all stem back to the, the volume of, sales opportunities that you can drive for these brands. And the sport uh, of supercars, the, I guess the the added challenge to some degree is it's it's not just about a brand association with the sport. It's really that identity that needs to be bought into as well. So you, um, you're not just uh, promoting the brand, you're actually driving for the brand, which – I would argue in, in a lot of respects is is even more compelling. But, um, you know, it's a huge leap of faith to convince a manufacturer or brand to come in and to actually enter their, their car into the market and be confident about their ability to succeed. And, um, you know, the rules being applicable that allow you you to, on any given day, be successful. So, you know, th- that's a, that's another huge element that that's really differentiates what a um, an AFL automotive relationship would look like so you know it's, it's one of those that you would hope for the sport there was always when i was there ongoing conversations with a number of automotive brands and you got to get your timing right you know now's a really challenging period to do that with um all the logistical challenges of automotive brands in this country and and being able to ship in product and um anything like that and you know it needs to be the right timing with whatever the product range is and application to supercars and what you're competing against and then the rules need to be supportive and um yeah it's a lot to line up this is you know when when we got nissan and brought them in the amount of ducks that had to be in a row to support that uh was unbelievable and you know there's many times through that process where we thought we were uh we were falling off the the, the train, but um, thankfully things stayed straight and the, the great people at Nissan Australia were, were all in with us and, and really driving to succeed. And, you know, what you saw was when one jumps in, uh, we quickly had uh, a pseudo, I guess, Mercedes because Betty had, had helped fund and support that program, but certainly Volvo in the, in the way they came in. Um, 
yeah, it just needs that sort of leap of faith from one brand and then that can often open the opportunities. Business to business relationships are commonplace across sport. How does the membership to business offer up a whole different stratosphere of support? Yeah, um, and there's, there's a couple of things in, in your meaning from AFL perspective. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's one of the that's one of the big things that you have around AFL clubs and you know, I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this they're either um, NRL fans or AFL fans. Um, but you know, clubs are big businesses. They've got massive fan bases. You, you can sit there and go, um, as an example, you know, you might have three million or, or three point five million or something um, supercar fans, which is massive, massive numbers. It's you know one of the top four sports in the country. But you know, you, you look at the identity of Essendon Football Club in isolation. You know, we, for all the reports and statistics, you know, we've got over well, close to a million fans ourselves nationally, and you know that's a that's a huge uh, member base to be driving those business opportunities. And and what sits behind every club is a massive corporate network. It's not just your sponsors. There is a huge network of coteries. There's a big network of, of hospitality and engagement partners. And that just reinforces the offering really. And that's where, you know, clubs can really drive these outcomes and benefit and, and provide um, not different offerings because one of our challenges in the AL is you look at our, uh, our playing apparel. You know, we've got uh, four, effectively four logos that, that can be placed on, on each of the playing kit and if you compare that to a race car well you know we can't even compete we can't even get near the extensive opportunities that the race car branding and those things so we play to our strengths in different areas famously the club you're working for now when uh, probably when tony was ghostwriting for kevin sheedy the coach uh, had the team in a room doing a video review and he stopped the tape wound it back and then yelled at someone in the uh, management side of the club in front of the players going, what the hell's that? There was an empty space on the fence at Windy Hill. And he was basically <laughs> telling your, your predecessor that that better be filled by next week and then continued on with the game review. Uh, well, that, that, <laughs> that sounds like Sheets. Um, you know, he, he is uh, not just one of the biggest profiles and important people to Essendon Football Club, more broadly to the AFL. You look at what Sheeds has been able to establish. You know, people may or may not know he was the architect of um, Dreamtime at the G. He was the architect of Anzac Day uh, to bring that together. And the, the latest one he brought together was Country Game, the celebration of all things country, which we play against Geelong. And there's, there's more, more on the horizon. Sheeds is on our board now. And... You know, you need personalities like Sheeds to to drive. You, it, everyone would be able to remember really iconic moments over there. Um, if for those that followed AFL, that that Sheeds, you know, whether it was jacket waving, whether it was the, the marshmallows, whether it was the windsock at Windy Hill, um, or there's just a million and one stories that were Sheeds. You know, Sheeds took our product on the road, you know, much like what Supercars does, but he he took. The, the game to all the states and hence why Essendon is now one of the if not biggest sporting brands um, in, in the country because that was all because of what Sheeds did with us many moons ago and took took our game to the people and that's you know that's one of the more important facts facets of, of what Supercars does is, is take the sport to the people you know, metro and regional 
and make sure that those touch points um, are consistent and delivered. But, yeah, he, he's been an, an incredible person, continued ambassador for our club. And, uh, you know, he, it probably even back to, you know, Sean does a great job there, but even predecessors, you look at Tony Cochran, who's now actually the chairman of um, Gold Coast Suns AFL team. You remember, you remember Coco, he was, uh, he used to always be known for making the sport look a lot bigger than what it actually was. He would sell us on that basis. He would always talk, talk it up um, and, and do an incredible job. And again, so does Sean. And um, as Sh- uh, James Warburton did an incredible job as well with the, the sport. But, you know, they, these characters are, are really important to your sport and make sure that you maintain headlines and, and space. And, um, you know, you, you pick up the paper every day. There's a lot of sport that's vying for publicity. Um, and, and these characters uh, really can help the uh, the backbone of your clubs and, and industry. Nick, you told us just how a whole new direction in your working career came about from a lunch in Morty Alec. Can you give us a clue as to how this change of direction again started? So I... Um uh, yes, yeah, sorry. So for, for when we're talking about my shift out of supercars, as I, I sort of alluded to before with the young family that I have, three young kids, uh, it was timely for me. Um, and as you do through sport and being active uh, in, in the market over a period of time, I've got to know a lot of people. I, I certainly knew Xavier Campbell, who is the CEO of Essendon. Um, and it was really right time, right place that um, Essendon were in market for a, a key opportunity, which uh, just so happened to be around the time where I thought, you know, after near 15 years, it's, it's time for a change for me. And, uh, you know, I, it's, it's similar to some degree that when I caught up with um, first Xavier and then another guy, Justin Rodsky, um, in at Essendon, you know, it was a pretty quick review. This process happened over no more than a week and uh, there I was, Sadly, standing in front of Todd after almost 12 years with him going, uh, unfortunately, it's time. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, as I said, it's something I look back at, at very fond memories of supercars, but, you know, pretty, pretty excited about the journey I'm on at the moment. Well, as we all know that uh, in life, uh, it's about timing. And it would seem that, uh, yet again, uh, Nick Ryan, you've arrived at a time when, your latest venture, the uh, Essendon Football Club, is on the rise um, for many, many people, including those who uh, make it their business to have an opinion on it. They say that the club is uh, on its uh, destination upwards after many years of on the down. Um, it must be tremendously exciting to be in a place where it's feeling dynamic, I imagine. Yeah, it's, it is. And, Tony, you make a good point, Sid. We related to 12 months ago and there were a lot of questions um, about the club. The sentiment was uh, not very high amongst the supporter base. Uh, Our performance just wasn't there in in 2020. And with with Ben Rutten, the the new senior coaches, has really had a uh, step change and and, um, material impact on the entire playing group and the club more broadly. And as, you know, credit to Xavier Campbell, our CEO, and also Paul Brash, who was the new president of the club, you know, we really changed that shift to now it's a it's a very identifiable um, style of football that we play. It's got real aggression and scoring power, which is um, 
you know, been removed to some degree from from footy in, in recent years. You know, it's a very defensive style. So the way we're opening up the game and playing has got people really excited. You know, we're a very young group. And then from the other side, from the business side, you know, we celebrate our 150th year next year, which is you know, one of the oldest sporting clubs in the world, um, you know, is, is, is massive for us. And, you know, then we're soon to step into the AFLW competition. We've got a BFLW team now, but to step in the women's competition at the end of next year, off the back of our 150th, uh, there's a lot to like about where the club's going, not just from a performance side, but business side more broadly. So, you know, for me, that's that's hugely exciting. You know, it's it's great opportunities, great experience, and to um, you know be attached to to this brand, as I said, which is one of the, the biggest sporting brands. We're all just custodians of the brand when we're working with them, and you know, my uh, my role and opportunity amongst all these. Um, benefits that are, that are occurring at the moment is is incredible and you know I'm, I'm couldn't be more grateful for the, the bombers to give me the chance and yeah it's it, it's exciting times and I'm excited to be on this journey when you look at football clubs and you see particularly the one I love I think you do too it's going through a massive change at the moment a new CEO a new coach eventually all new assistants can a supercar team turn itself around like that yeah, I, I, look, I, th- I think a, a, a great example, and it's it's not necessarily turnaround, but you look at the association that the Kellys have with the Groves, and um, you know, it's uh, the the investments and support of of Stephen and Brenton Grove to that team um, will will certainly help drive that forward. You know, they will, um, you know, from a financial perspective, you look at. Um, you look at DJR for when Penske came in all those years ago and how quickly they could do that. And, you know, there's, there's a, a real obvious um, anchor to this, isn't it? You know, funding is, is one of those key aspects. It's, it's really one of those things that um, to be consistently competitive, you, you really do need investment dollars. But you look, you look at people like BJR um, and when... Nick, I noticed, I saw that Nick's obviously moving on from that team, but you look at his continued competitiveness in that car has been really impressive. But to be consistently performing and, and right at the pointy ends, um, you know, the, the money is, is required, but you can see how quickly that could be turned around and, and provide those opportunities. But, you know, it, it is a money game, whether you, you like it or not. It, it is a money sport that you, um, motorsport, you can, you can spend infinitely, but equally... If you've got the money to start with, you're you're much better placed to be in that uh, highly competitive position. And you have gone from a sport that was always talking about bringing in salary caps and and spending limits to a sport that has. And obviously, that means the more money you bring in at your end is more profit and more money for the club to operate in its wider ventures. Yeah, it's... Um, that, and that's right. That's the other key thing about clubs. You know, we 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 certainly um, venture out well beyond our, I guess you call it our traditional business of football, and you know we're into a, a host of other ventures, um, which uh, a number of AFL clubs do the same. It's it's make sure that you've got the funding base for for your club secure for the future. Um, and, and make sure that, you know, like anything, you've, you've got the, the, the money that you're required to be competitive and, and challenging in the industry. And, yeah, there's, there's certainly, from a, um, a playing perspective, there's a, um, a cap on what you can spend across your football department and also the playing group. 
and you know that's tightly controlled you know i was part of this back in uh what years would it have been uh, when we tried to bring the the caps into supercars it might have even been early days maybe six 2006 2007 or whatever it was when the introduction um was was implemented but it, i think it was only for you guys might even remember better than me it was only for a few months time i think that there was all this ongoing discussion around what a spending cap would be over the technical aspects of the supercar business and then there was exemptions around commercial and i think big teams just became clever and everything started funneling through commercial and after a few months time it was identified that it would just be impossible to police so you know the the, the business of supercars i guess where you can restrict and, and take that better is you know you can introducing these control parts um around that that limit the abilities or capacity for for teams to be going and and developing those individually i think that's that's a better place to do it because being able to police um teams and and how they're going about and what they're spending if there's so many freedoms it just doesn't happen but obviously the afl's worked out the soft cap hard caps and put in place those regulations to stop their teams going on what uh, are normally considered uh, arms races. Oh, it's, totally. It's, it's extremely well controlled, but also easier to control. Um, but, you know, we, at anything like every other club, you're audited every year around your spending and uh, that ensures that no clubs go rogue in, in what they're doing and, um, you know, your, your governance in areas and your penalties are so severe that you wouldn't, tread that path you know some clubs uh, have certainly done so in the past and felt the financial implication of doing so so um there, there's ways that it can work for both sport as i said it, it's a very good system in the afl around controlling the expenditure and how that looks and for supercars just telling teams that you can only spend um you know whatever it is two car team that you can spend six million dollars or seven or eight million dollars whatever it might be um, it just doesn't work. You know, I, I think you, you've got to have tighter regulation and controls on the vehicles and it doesn't need to be across everything, but it just needs to be areas of limitation. And, um, you know, it's, it's, there's also a big technology part to it. Yeah, we were always, I remember in, in all the discussion over all the days, you know, these are highly refined um, technological beasts that, that we were racing and do they need to be so extensive in terms of what the the technology was inside those cars because not only is the technology expensive as is the development it's the resource and people that you need to bring to actually figure the things out and um you know that was just you you turn around for one second in the pits and and suddenly you've just got a massive group of people that cost a significant amount of money but you know it's 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 pretty different when you're you're going racing every weekend and you have to travel with when we're at the kelly's we were 40 45 or you know 45 to 50 people probably that were going to race events now you think of just the sheer cost of salary travel accommodation food um before you're even developing the car that doesn't leave a whole lot in the kitty so hence why you know the big teams can thrive and can throw any money they like and and you know new parts more regulate the cars and and the mid-tier and below teams um you're, you're really counting your pennies and uh, and just doing the best job that you possibly can. Nick, uh, Ryan, thank you very much for joining us on Inside Supergas and congratulations on your past successes in one sport and we look forward to watching, me particularly so, and seeing the success of your latest venture in the biggest and the boldest sport 
industry in this country. Uh, it's obviously uh, a wonderfully uh, involved uh, business and one that I'm sure that you'll make a real impact in. Uh, we greatly appreciate your insight. Uh, nice of you to say so. Thanks for the time, Tony and Craig. It's, it's always nice to catch up and, and always nice to be talking about the sport, which, uh, which as I said, I, I love deeply. So, um, yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate the time to talk. Congratulations and all, and we look forward to catching up sometime in the near future, maybe in person, me at the hangar. <laughs> no problem. Look forward to it. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.